One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. On today's show, Sophie Haydock on her new novel, The Flames. Sophie Haydock is an award-winning author living in East London. She is the winner of the Impress Prize for New Writers. She trained as a journalist at City University and has worked at the Sunday Times magazine, Tatler and BBC Three, as well as freelancing for publications including the Financial Times, Guardian Weekend magazine, and organisations such as Arts Council, Royal Academy and Sotheby's. Passionate about short stories, Sophie also works for the Sunday Times Short Story Award and is Associate Director of the Word Factory Literary Organisation. Her Instagram account, Egon Sheila's Women, dedicated to the women who posed for Egon Sheila, has a community of over 115,000 followers. And today we're going to be talking about Sophie's debut novel, also Egon Sheila based, which is The Flames. Sophie, welcome to Little Atoms. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Tell us, first of all, then, how you would describe The Flames. Yeah, so The Flames, in my opinion, is the story of the four muses who pose for the artist Egon Sheila. And a lot of people have heard of Egon Schiele. He was a kind of scandalous, controversial young man who was creating art in Vienna about 100 years ago. And the, the Flames is really about the four main women in his life who contributed to his kind of genius and who helped make him one of the greatest artists of the 20th century. So you say something in the acknowledgements about how this idea came about and how you ended up writing this novel and who it's dedicated to. So can you tell us that? Yeah, so gosh, this the idea for this novel, I can kind of pinpoint it to a very precise moment in time. Back in January 2015, which seems like an absolute lifetime ago now, but I went to, I was invited to the Courtauld Gallery. They had an exhibition on called Egon Schiele, The Radical Nude. It sounded quite intriguing, I've got to say. Um, and it was the last weekend of this show. For some reason, it had completely passed me by. I hadn't heard about it particularly. I hadn't thought to go. And I was in real danger of, of missing this show entirely. And as an aside, I completely dread to think what my life would be like now if I just hadn't gone or hadn't accepted my friend's invitation. 
So my friend Ali was coming down from Yorkshire. Um, we'd worked together as kind of timeout style magazine in Leeds where I'd been arts editor. So she, she knew that I had an interest in arts, even if I hadn't particularly been displaying it uh, at that moment in London. And we, we met at the Courtauld and we went inside this gallery and it was just incredible. There was all this artwork. Um, understandably, it was quite shocking. It was explicit. The women in the paintings were nude. You know, I, I looked at a painting of this beautiful young woman who had her kind of arm raised above her head. She was naked and she was incredibly sensual. She had been depicted with a huge amount of tenderness. And I kind of assumed that this must have been a lover. You know, this, this kind of depiction of another woman assumed that the artist was in a relationship with this woman. And I was really shocked to discover that this woman was, in fact, Gertrude Sheila, the artist's little sister. So these were the first moments when I realised that something strange was going on. And I, I continued around the gallery, and it was just at the end of the exhibition that I read a line that really kind of struck me a bit like a thunderbolt. And it said, and excuse me if this is any kind of spoiler, but it said, Egon Sheila died aged 28. And that for me was a really shocking moment because he'd been prolific in his lifetime. He'd created so many wonderful pieces of artwork um, into the thousands. And I kind of looked around the room and I thought, you know, what a kind of tragedy that he would die so young. And then the next line was that he died three days after his wife, who was six months pregnant with their first child. And that was the moment when I thought, oh, this could be a book. You know, this could actually have what it takes. It was, it was such a dynamic story already. You know, there was obviously strange themes at play, um, tragedy, scandal, you know, this strange relationship with his sister. And it was at that moment that I realized that I, I could or, you know, might want to write a book about the women that I discovered. And, you know, you mentioned the book is dedicated um, to my friend Ali. Uh, Ali Schofield, she's the person who invited me to the exhibition that day. And I think I've said in a couple of the pieces that I've written, you know, to promote this book, that Egon Sheila's death is very much for me entwined with Ali's untimely death. She tragically and very sadly died age 34 of breast cancer. And, you know, that was just a few years after we went to the exhibition together. So for me, it's this you know, to write a book and to dedicate it to her, without whom I wouldn't have visited the exhibition that day and certainly wouldn't have come across this idea for the novel. You know, I feel like all, the, all their lives are entwined together and all their kind of sad fates are tangled up together. And it's a way for me to both honour those women and to honour Ali. So we'll find out more about Egon Sheila as we go through the interview, talking about the four women, because this is a book about the four women and not directly about mm. him. But let's first of all say something about how again his this is the you know the 19 you know the early 20th century his depiction of women at the time was scandalous. Tell us something more about how his art was received at the time. Yeah, so he was he was a young man. He was, you know, in his teens and early 20s when he had his, you know, most prolific output. 
and he was very sexually charged. I mean, the depictions of the female body and, you know, his own body in his paintings are, are incredibly um, sensual and radical. And I think it's fair to say that um, he saw himself as uh, the protege of another great Austrian artist, Gustav Klimt. And lots of people might know Klimt because of his famous artwork, The Kiss. And it's very, all Klimt's artwork, again, is very sensual. There's lots of gold leaf. Um, there's lots of that kind of Art Nouveau styling that might go into it, the kind of the pattern work and things like that. And Sheila took a lot of Klimt's style. Uh, Klimt also painted women in the nude. And he also painted women masturbating, for example, or drew certainly drew them. And Sheila took lots of these motifs and and kind of made them his own and and took them a step further and I think his intention I think it's fair to say that his intention was to shock society which at that time a hundred years ago in Vienna was very you know there was this real contradiction between appearances so people would appear very well-to-do and very respectable but then underneath there would be this real seam of seediness you know there was you know respectable married men having sex with prostitutes for example and I think Sheila saw this at play in society and he wanted to expose a little bit of that hypocrisy and I think it's really important to say that his depictions of the female body were ahead of ahead of their time because he did try to give his female models some level of autonomy and some level of equality. And equality wasn't a theme that necessarily women expected then, or it wasn't something that, you know, was a concept that people were really familiar with. But Sheila did something in his artworks where he gave the women who posed for him a degree of autonomy. They look back at you from the artworks, they make eye contact, they hold their own sexuality and this was this was really challenging for the audience of the day let's talk about the four women in turn then and we'll talk about obviously these are all real people mm. um the people that, that sheila painted but this is a novel so we could say a little bit about who these people were in history but really i want to talk about who your adela harms is mm. and um etc and so yeah let's talk about adela because the book is split into into sections from the perspective of each of these women often looking at different periods of, of Sheila's life. And like, as I said, we can, we can get a glimpse at his like, early life, for instance, a little bit later on. But let's talk about who Adela Harms is, first of all. Yeah, so Adela is a fascinating character. She was one of a pair of sisters. So there was Adela and Edith. And they met Egon Sheila when they were in their 20s. And he moved into an apartment opposite theirs in a very wealthy area of Vienna. And I can't help but imagine that they would have been quite tantalised and quite intrigued by this young man who moved in on the other side of the street. And they might have wanted to know more about him. They might have been slightly scandalized by what they heard, the rumors that made their way to them. And I, I can only imagine that, you know, there was some attraction there. And the two sisters, certainly, they would have had an expectation at that age that they were going to marry and that they were going to marry well. And I've imagined in the book that there was some rivalry between the sisters. 
So Adela is the older sister. She, you know, I've drawn her character from the artworks that I've seen that he made of her. And in it, in them, they, she always looks very self-assured and poised and kind of, she's got this real look in her eyes that's quite smoldering and quite intense. And I was really intrigued by her as a character. I don't know, again, it's it's fair to say that the two sisters vie for, their, for this artist's attention and one of them becomes his wife. And I don't want to give any spoilers away, but it's hard. It's hard to discuss them without that. But in the book, we meet Adela as an older woman And she's looking back at the events of her life, you know, when she was young, when she was beautiful, when she was painted by this enigmatic artist. And she's this old woman who, you know, it's a very real detail that she was living practically on the streets of Vienna when she died, age 78. She had no money. She'd never been married. Well, I've given it away there. And she had no children. So um, she had had this real fall from grace in her lifetime. And, you know, she'd been born into a wealthy family. She was educated. She had the expectation of everything in the world coming to her. And I was really fascinated with Adela, with this point of view that there was this slippage had happened. Something had snapped in her life, some expectation of what she should get and what she deserved and what she actually ended up with. And I kind of wanted to explore that in her and with her as an older woman to see what her regrets might have been and what her sadnesses might have been and whether she might have harbored her own delusions about her experience with Igor Sheila. Let's talk about Edith then, her sister. Um, (laughs) And and to be fair, I mean, it may just be the proof copy, but it does say on the back of my proof copy that Edith is his wife, so we are are giving. This is a a matter of historical (laughs) fact, so it's... That's right, it's hard It's not really uh, a spoiler. Um, But yeah, so so like in in the novel, certainly, I mean, of course, the first section is told from... Adela's perspective and so she certainly has an inflated opinion about herself but nonetheless she certainly seems to the reader also to be the more sort of the sister that might appeal to Sheila more Mm. and yet it is Edith that he ends up married to so let's maybe talk about why. So Edith was the younger sister she was much shyer she was much more subtle and sweet and this again is her character once more is drawn from the paintings that he made of her and in them she looks very much like a doll I mean she's depicted Um, in this brightly coloured dress in one artwork that he made of her after they got married in 1915. And she looks slightly, you know, she doesn't look very engaged or very dynamic. And I think, I like to think that this depiction of herself would have have upset Edith because I think there was much more to her than meets the eye. I think he might have been attracted to her because she was, I don't know, less demanding or less invasive. And I think he wanted somebody who he could build a life with and who might be a bit more malleable. This is all speculation, but you know, the the historical fact is that he did marry Edith, he did marry the younger sister, and he did go on to paint her sister Adele in her stockings. And Adele in later life did say that she had an affair with Igor Sheila. And again, this could have been mistranslated. You know, an affair could mean, you know, she was courted by him and maybe he courted both sisters at the same time before he 
chose Edith. It could have mean that she had a sexual affair before marriage or after his marriage to her sister. Um, it could have meant lots of things. It could also you know, have been misremembered. She might have completely created this intimacy in her own mind. And these kind of questions haunted me as I was writing because I, I wanted to know what kind of woman Adele might have been and what might have led to her having these um, delusions about that experience. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You listen to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Sophie Haydock and we're talking about her novel, The Flames. And Sophie, before we look at the other two women, I just wanted to just stick with Adela and Edith for a minute. And in the novel, you parallel Adela's mental health deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Um, shall we say, obviously, again, it's a, it's not giving anything away to say it's a, it's a matter of historical record that Edith doesn't survive. But... Adela's mental health and the family's finances, because they come from this extremely well-to-do family at the beginning of the novel, sort of parallel the fall of the um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Habsburg Empire. I wonder if you'd tell us something about that. Yeah, so Vienna 100 years ago was a very decadent place. It was a place of cafe culture, uh, music, architecture, uh, Mozart, Freud. You know, there was a huge amount of decadence going on um, at that time in Vienna. And the Habsburg Empire at that time had ruled for close to 400 years. So they'd been in power for a long, long time. And when I think of the Habsburg Empire, I think of the grand waltzes and the palaces and, you know, so much decadence. And 
The First World War happened in 1914 and the Habsburg Empire fell at the end of the First World War. So there was this real real kind of shift in in worlds you know at the beginning at Vienna at the turn of the 20th century was one thing and Vienna less than 20 years later had been decimated by war the Spanish influenza pandemic of 1918 had um, done a huge amount of damage and killed Ivan Schiele and his wife and you know it was really the end of an era and I think that for me, the fate and fortune of the Harms family, Edith and Adele Harms, um, kind of mirrored this decline. So they had been very wealthy. They'd enjoyed um, this kind of bourgeois lifestyle in Vienna, going to the theatre, going to the galleries, having all these social occasions. And it's really when the war starts that, you know, the cracks begin to show. There's not enough food. The men are sent away to fight all this kind of tearing happens in society and it's both personal and much larger than that you know it happens across Europe Um, and I I really saw the decline in this family unit so Adele she's kind of going through her 20s and at 28 she's 28 in 1918 and that's when her sister dies her sister's husband Egon dies and the war ends and the Habsburg Empire comes to an end and I just thought what must have life been like for her at that point in time you know she must have felt just bereft there would have been nobody to turn to nobody to get support from she wouldn't have been particularly well placed to get a job I can't imagine her you know going out and you know doing the hard labor that might have been expected of women at that time or you know people who had to earn a living and I think she would have really struggled to find her place in this new world. And she she had to live that way for 50 years. You know, she had to live with her regrets and her this out of step with, with the world that she found herself in. And that really fascinated me. And I loved getting to see her as an old woman and getting to see this kind of um, shabbiness and this haughtiness that still remained in her. You know, she hadn't let go of that arrogance, which despite her what I imagine were very difficult life experiences, you know, really, really charmed me to her. So I hope that that kind of translated well into fiction. I seem to be saying every other interview, trying to figure out how the book I'm reading at that moment has some sort of resonance to the fact that we've just spent the last two years living through a a global pandemic. But this this is explicitly a book about (laughs) that features the Spanish flu. And I just wanted you to say something about, like, again, obviously... The gestation period of this book, we've been talking about how that's, you know, started in 2015 and onwards and books take a long time to write. But I just wondered if you'd, if you'd say something about, you know, the book at least being released and publicised in a world where we are we are living through a, another Spanish flu. Well, that's right. I could never have imagined when I sat down to do the research into a pandemic and what it might have been like to live through that. I never imagined in a million years that we'd be living through our own you know, such a short time later, it really brought it home to me, you know, when we were in confinement, all of us and quarantine and uh, worrying about our health and this kind of virus spreading through society, it really brought it home. And especially because um, two of my main characters succumbed to this virus, you know, 100 years ago, it made me so sad for them, you know, the sense of powerlessness that they must have felt as the disease turned up at their door and how terrible it must have been. I had a newfound insight into that 
because I could really understand the the daily horrors that they must have been exposed to as part of those fears. And yeah, it was powerful. Let's talk about Gertrude then, uh, Sheila's younger sister, who he has, we can say, rather an odd relationship. And through your portrayal of her, we also get to see something of of his childhood as well. So tell us something about who she is in your novel, and then maybe we can say something about where he grew up. That's right. Well, I think that day in the gallery, I saw this painting of her. You know, I, I saw her naked before I even knew her name. And that's a real intimate thing, you know, for, for somebody to witness of another person. And I realised with Gertrude in particular and with his other models that they're seen very explicitly, but their stories hadn't been heard. And that was one of the starting threads that made me want to research them and tell their stories. But with Gertrude in particular, you know, this idea was there that she had posed for her brother without her clothes on. And this struck me as a little unusual, but I really wanted to trace their relationship back and try and work out the circumstances that might have made that action natural or normal or a perfectly neither of them seemed to bat an eyelid at, at this at this exchange and I wanted to find out what there was in the roots of their childhood that had brought them so closely together and it's fair to say that they they shared a troubled childhood um, and this sparked a really intimate bond between them one that was probably very healing when they were children. They had each other to rely on. But then as they grew older, it became more complicated and more kind of fraught with jealousies and misunderstandings, you know. And I think that uh, that allowed me, exploring that through fiction, allowed me to answer a lot of the questions about why she had been posing for her brother in that way and why she might have been comfortable doing so. And she's a really strong character. You know, she's very... um, she really breaks the mold of what it was to be a young woman back then and she knows her own mind and she really wants to um, break free of the constraints that are placed upon her and she has an interesting life she went on to marry one of Egon Schiele's artist friends and have a child with him so um, you know she she comes out of the encounter with her brother relatively unscathed but I think that her story is really revealing about who he was and what his motivations were as well. Um, and then finally, then, let's talk about Valley, Wahlberger mm. uh, Nuzel, um, who yeah. was one of his prolific models. Tell us about something about who she was and, and I guess what, what it would have been like to have worked as an artist model for somebody like Sheila at the time. Yeah, I, I really love Valley. I think she is the one out of all the women in the book, perhaps, who who doesn't betray herself. You know, she does she's does the least in terms of betrayal. And I really admire her for that. And I think that she she met Yvonne Sheila apparently uh, in the studio of Gustav Klimt. Uh, this is the rumour that's been handed down, although I'm sure there are hardcore Sheila scholars who um, would disagree with that version of reality. But it's such a good story because um, it links it links the artists Sheila and Klimt. And I liked the idea of exposing this concept of uh, models being passed between artists as if they were a commodity, whereas in fact they're, they're far from that. 
So Valley was fascinating. She's from a poorer background. She really needed to be a model in order to make ends meet. And she was treated terribly by Egon Sheila. She stood by him throughout his darkest days when he was imprisoned and when he faced um, a scandal that really shook him to the core. And he repaid her very badly. Um, and she still managed to walk away from that with her dignity. And uh, yeah, I think I, I think that most readers will connect with her story just because she's so she's so strong-willed and she's so you know she behaves so well. To finish it off, can I get you to read us a bit? Then Edith experiences the tipping point, a moment of balance before the descent, the sensation manifesting itself first in her belly. She puts her hand to her stomach, desperate, scared that somehow the baby is in danger, that it is all her fault. Why is she being so reckless? She remembers, then, that she has been pushed to the edge by the people she loves most. It takes less than half an hour for the wheel to complete its circuit. In that time, she has thought of death and love, of blood and betrayal, and where her loyalties lie. Who can we trust in this world? Edith still hasn't a clue. She begins walking again. Where else can she go? She feels as if she were a homeless rambler, one of these unfortunate types who have frittered everything away and must wander the streets with no chance of redemption or return. She is sure she's mistaken for such a figure too, grubby as she has become, shivering and shaking. She warms her belly, thinking only of the baby, of its emerging limbs and eyes closed against the darkness inside her. Edith approaches the market. Stalls are closing up for the evening, men and boys packing away the produce, piling up crates. She runs her hands over wrinkled fruit and meagre vegetables. The prices sky high. One for a pretty girl down on her luck, a man says, putting his hand beneath his stall and pulling out an orange. He holds it out and she is transfixed. Edith sits down. He produces a knife to peel it. She's so empty, and the juice is so sweet. It's rare. As she is leaving, she touches a stack of tall, brittle firewood, the only type that can be sourced during this sad war, and imagines the flames that will consume it, given time. They promise so much. Life-giving warmth and destruction. A line that is so terribly fine. So I've been talking to Sophie Haydock. We've been talking about her debut novel, The Flames, which is out in the UK from Doubleday. Sophie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about it. Thank you so much. It's been really great to talk to you, Neil. This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by Acast and published by 89up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.